The Fanboy Podcast, Episode 72. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 72nd edition of the Fanboy Podcast. Now, I should start by pointing out that today's show is going to be available in two formats. That's right, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that we were going to be experimenting with the idea of having the show be both a podcast and a YouTube show. You know, sometimes people like to watch guys stand in front of a mic and talk. I don't know why. But people do. I, I found myself doing it. There's this uh, sportscaster, very famous uh, you know, sports analyst here in New York called Mike Francesa. And for the longest time, he had a show where it's just like, it, it, it's the radio show, but it would simulcast on TV. And if you go to the simulcast, there was nothing fancy. There was like no graphics. There was nothing fun. It was basically just Mike sitting in front of a mic talking. And I remember my wife came into the room once when I had that on and she's like, how is this a show? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't see how this meets even the most base elements of what a television show is. There's nothing visually stimulating about it whatsoever. It's just a guy in front of a mic talking. But then again, there I was sitting watching it. So I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't know how this is a show, but here I am anyway. So anyway, hopefully, you know, if, if you guys like this and then the numbers are good and for whatever reason you're getting something out of this, this will be how every episode is. But for now, I'm going to do it just for a couple episodes and we'll see how it does. But for now, before we get into today's big main thesis, because obviously we're going to talk a lot, a lot of Superman today, a lot of Henry Cavill, all the stuff that happened this week. It's been, it's been an, a very trying week and surprisingly, I have a lot to say about it. But before we get to it, I have a little bit of housekeeping stuff to, to sort of address. Because this week, this week was huge for Revenge of the Fans. Uh, it was a record-breaking day yesterday on its own. Yesterday, September, what was that? September 13th, 2018 was our biggest day yet. And not just by like a small margin. It was like, we're like astronomical numbers. And it's funny to think that it came from a post that Matt Vernier brought. He's my, you know, he's been one of my most reliable, longest standing reporters for prob for most of Revenge of the Fans existence. He's been there. He was pretty much there from, I, I want to say he started within the first couple of weeks. So he brought his first exclusive to the site. And it's these um, like set pictures of Top Gun's, uh, the airplane that, that Tom Cruise is going to be flying. And people are obsessed with that. So, uh, you know, that was the big thing yesterday. But overall this week, in these last five days since Monday, 46,000 people have visited Revenge of the Fans. And while there, they clicked on over 60,000 things. And it's just, you know, it's... <laughs> I uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it, it, it was a great week. And on top of that, even on the Twitter end, the the official Twitter handle, which is Revenge OT Fans, because we couldn't fit Revenge of the Fans, so Revenge OT Fans has now crossed the 1,000 follower mark. And mind you, tomorrow we only turn nine months. That's right, on September 15th, it'll be only nine months. This site is still a baby. And we got over 1,000 followers so far. 
than here at the Fanboy Podcast. In these last two weeks, I've gotten three more five-star reviews, bringing the total to 43 reviews, all of which are five stars, and I'm just flabbergasted by anyone who took the time to do that. I know the latest one, it doesn't look like you actually wrote a review, you just gave me the five stars. I'll take it. Thank you for that. Thank you very, very much. Um, you know, and just the community we're building here is amazing. You know, the friends I'm making, the, the, the friends other supporters are making through the site, you know, things that have nothing to do with me, things are just happening. You know, the other night I had like a surreal moment. One of those, remember how I spoke about it a couple weeks ago, this idea of when you're having a great moment, when you're having a beautiful moment, take a moment to really capture it in your mind. Take, take stock of how lucky you are to be living this moment. Because look, let's be honest, life is filled with tumultuous crap. It's filled with controversy and disappointment and heartbreak and things we don't understand and things we're angry about. And you know, the real world is, can be a really ugly place. But that's why when you get to have moments that are just like, whoa, I'm living my best life right now, really take that time to like, take a mental snapshot of it. Because the other night, you know, I'm sitting right here on the couch with my PlayStation headphones on, and I'm playing Dead by Daylight with an unbelievable assortment of people in terms of the different walks of life they all come from and how our common thread is Revenge of the Fans. And it's amazing to see. So on the one hand, we had my, my best friend of 21 years and my brother from another mother, Mr. Rob Marrero, who's also the co-host of the Play It Loudcast and a fairly phenomenal voice actor. Then there was Brett Miro, who is my co-host on The Revengers and also a co-host of the Play It Loudcast and one of my very good friends for 14 years now. Then there was my cousin Brandon, who doesn't really know them that well. He's met them in passing over the years, but through Revenge of the Fans, he's become part of a clique with them. And he's contributed a bunch of wonderful The Flash think pieces to Revenge of the Fans. So he was online with us. And then... There was Tavo Borrego. Tavo has been a follower of mine and a listener and a reader and a general supporter who sends me packages via Amazon for movies that he needs me to see because he knows I'm. it's hard to get me to see uh, referrals. So he mails me movies sometimes. Tavo, who's been following me since Latino Review, is on headset with them and he's better friends with them than I am these days. I mean, that's how it feels, because lately I've been so busy with everything going on, you know, I don't even get a chance to jump on and play with them. So these guys have been playing without me for weeks, telling me, we are Mario, when are you going to join us? And they're building their own rapport, and they have conversations and in-jokes and references that I have nothing to do with. And then the cherry on top of that, making it even stranger, stranger in a good way, mind you, is that Tavo brought on his daughter, Adriana. His little girl jumped on the headset with us. She played Dead by Daylight as Michael Myers and thoroughly murdered all of us in short order. It was unbelievable. But um, it was just one of those things where I was sitting there on the couch with my headset on, just going like, is this really happening? Like, listen to these people. Everyone, like, we're friends. We're, 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 we're laughing together. We're unwinding at the end of a long day. And the thing that brought us together was this little project of mine, this whole, you know, the, everything that happened the day after I got fired from Latino Review, launching the El Fanboy podcast and deciding to go off on my own and then eventually launching Revenge of the Fans. 
like from this little thing, so many wonderful things have happened. A whole community is being built and I'm making friends and my friends are making friends with each other. It's just unbelievable. I also think about the Fanboy Garage. You look at the shirt I'm wearing. I'm wearing my Everything Was Ninjas, the Fanboy Garage shirt. And that show is hosted by Chris Lasanti and Aaron Verola, who became friends by following the El Fanboy podcast. And, and, and we would all engage on Twitter in these long-form, crazy, heated debates. And Rick Shue from Batman on Film would pop up once in a while. And we would talk for hours about these heated things. And one of those conversations led to the Fanboy Garage. Where Tavo, I believe, was the one who told Chris and Aaron, you know, this, this, this passion you guys have for film score, because that's what the topic was that particular day, whenever it was, six, seven months ago. He was like, I can listen to a whole podcast about this. Why don't you guys start one of your own? And then Chris and Aaron did it. And the Fanboy Garage, now, you know, it's available every week. It's part of the Revenge of the Fans podcast network. It's just, you know, it's unbelievable. I, you know, I keep saying that. I don't want to be a dead horse. And I don't want to be like, this is, I'm not a Hallmark card. I don't want to be too sappy here. But it's just amazing to see. It's amazing to see what's come out of these last nine months. It's amazing to see what's come out of the last year and a half since I've gone solo. Also this week, I, I crossed the 2,000 followers mark on Twitter. And I, you know, it, it, it was, I had to pinch myself again on Wednesday amidst all the chaos of what happened with Henry Cavill and Superman and all the uncertainty my phone blew up my Twitter feed blew up with people wanting to know what I thought about this subject and it's like really you guys care what I have to say I'm always just you know I'm always just sort of dumbfounded that anyone gives a damn what I have to say about anything so any, you know, whoever, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, if you have supported this show in any way, if you if you visited revengeofthefans.com at all, just thank you. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. This is kind of like I'm living a dream here, and it looks like a lot of you are, are enjoying this a fair amount too. So, you know, let's, let's just keep at it, all right? Um, and by the way, since I did mention this shirt, you know, we are going to be uh, finally dabbling into some merchandise at the site we're gonna have some t-shirts we're gonna have some mugs you know I have my old El fanboy mug which is now defunct because I'm not El fanboy now I'm the fanboy but we're gonna be having mugs and stickers and t-shirts and all kinds of stuff very soon I'm actually having a meeting with Chris about that tomorrow because he seems to know his stuff when it comes to merch so you know if you guys want to support the site via that way you're gonna have an opportunity to do that very soon but okay, I think I'm done with the, uh, the housekeeping. You know, let's let's talk about why you're really here. You know, this week was um, it was really tough. It was really tough if you're a fan of Henry Cavill Superman, and it's really tough if you're a Superman fan because a lot of what's come out this week, you know, there are things we're uncertain of, but there's something through it all that we do seem to be becoming very sadly certain of. So. Regardless of whether or not Henry Cavill stays, something really, truly depressing for Superman fans has happened in these last five months. Superman has gone on the complete back burner, it seems. Regardless of what story you've read, whether it was the one from The Hollywood Reporter, whether it was what TMZ wrote yesterday, whether it's anything even I've covered, you know, there's a through line which seems to be that the studio 
is now just sort of, they've stalled out on Superman. They're focusing on Supergirl. And regardless of whether or not Henry stays or goes, we're probably not getting a solo Superman for a while. And I just don't get it. And I just... We're talking Superman here. You know, like, this shouldn't be hard. He's the king of the superheroes. He's the number one. He's the most recognizable hero. He's the one that started it off. He's the one... He... Everything is built on the legacy of Superman. Everything. Whether it's Marvel or DC, Superman is the prototype for all superheroes. And yet, here we are. It's 2018. And to date, in the last 31 years, we've only gotten two... No. Three solo Superman movies. If you want to count 1987's Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, Superman Returns in 2006, Man of Steel in 2013, and now who the hell knows when we're going to get another one. And I just don't get it. You know, it's not that hard. You know, when I had Mark Wade on here a couple weeks ago, I asked him to, like, is it really hard to write for Superman? That's something that's like a common you know, concept people have. He's hard to write for because he's so perfect and, you know, all the only way you can hurt him is kryptonite and he's a demigod and he's too much of a, you know, blue chipper boy scout. He's boring. Like, Mark Wade said, absolutely not. It is not hard to write for Superman and yet so many people don't seem to know how to handle this character. So, just to sort of recap where, like, for me, it's very upsetting is... I know for a fact that at the end of last year, there was momentum for Superman. I know that as recently as April, there was a lot of momentum for Superman. And mind you, what's something I'd like to point out is that the same source who told me about DC Daily back in January is the very same source who was telling me in April that Warner Brothers is trying to get a solo Superman into theaters by 2020. It's the same source. So it's real. And this source is reliable. So that's where for me now, I start thinking, I start reeling. How do we go from we want to fast track a sequel so that it can go into production in 2019 and be released in 2020 to, eh, you know, the, the, the TMZ piece yesterday to paraphrase was like, listen, this Henry Cavill stuff is all fake. There's no, you know, the, there is no Superman movie to discuss so, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Like, that's all in just five months' time. And as I try to fill in the gaps, as I try to put together my own time, I feel like putting together one of those, like, you know when detectives have that little board in the back with all the headshots and all the evidence pinned to it and you're circling things and making a diagram? I'm over here trying to do that about Superman because something has really you know, got on the fritz. And based on little bits of evidence that we've been given, you can sort of sketch a rough outline of what seems to have happened, okay? Because in April, not just me, even Collider had heard from reliable sources that they were looking to, you know, that, 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 that Cavill was going to be cameoing in several films. They wanted him to suddenly be the connective tissue that held the shared DC universe together and that we wanted to get a sequel by 2020. That was April. Then last week we found out about The Witcher, and apparently he went into a meeting with the creator of The Witcher in May and came in with a head full of steam about being cast on the Netflix series The Witcher. And now what you see has happened since then is, remember, at some point, I want to say it was like June-ish, 
when they announced Supergirl. And now Supergirl seems to be the priority. They, you know, the, it's so what, what seems to have happened is this. They fought Henry Cavill's contract negotiations were going to be a foregone conclusion. They thought he was sticking around no matter what, that it was going to be a no-fuss, no-must proposition so they can already start making plans. Mind you, I heard in April that they were speaking to no fewer than seven directors, seven different directors about what they would do with Superman. They were really kicking the tires on making a solo Superman sequel. But then those negotiations didn't exactly go as planned, now did they? You know, we've come to learn in the last few months that his camp suddenly increased their demands. It suddenly went from being a foregone conclusion that, yes, I want to stay on and do more movies with you and, and be Superman for the foreseeable future, to, yes, I want to do that, but only if I get director approval, if I get to be like a producer on the property too, so I get to have a say on how the films play out and I get to approve the storylines and so on and so forth. And it looks like Warner Brothers just decided almost at that point, you know what? Screw it. It's not worth it. And it looks like we're going to have to go back into redevelopment on Superman for a bit because right now our star is, is, is you know, the, 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 the demands have made him sort of not worth it at this point. And that's why Supergirl suddenly popped up. It popped up as the alternative. And it kind of works twofold. A... It means, you know, it gives them time to figure Superman out. And B, right now, female superheroes are very in. It's the big thing. The market seems to really want it. Their biggest success with the DCU overall was Wonder Woman last year. They know that the female superhero thing and the female empowerment angle in Hollywood and the whole, you know, there's a cultural moment around this idea of female heroes. So for them, it's like, Perfect. You know, we got to figure out what's going on with Superman anyway, so let's put him on the back burner. Let's get Supergirl going, and then if anything, from there, we can launch a new Superman down the road. You know, and, and also around that same time, that's when Henry began his huge press tour for Mission Impossible Fallout. And who told you, by the way? Who told you that September would be a big month for this stuff? That's right. So here we are in September, the press tour is over, they resumed talks, they apparently had some sort of conversation on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, everything went to hell. So let's talk about what happened on Wednesday. On Wednesday, The Hollywood Reporter, Boris Kitt, published a piece, published a full-on report with anonymous sources claiming that it was over that Henry Cavill is not Superman anymore, that the DCU is moving in a new direction, that Supergirl is going to be, you know, kind of the, uh, the priority for now, and, you know, Superman's kind of just not happening, and that Henry Cavill is done. Then Danny Garcia put out a tweet that said, not so fast, not so fast, the cape is still in Henry's closet, and stay tuned for a, you know, statement from WB. And then WB released a statement or two, and both of them were just non-committal. Neither, you know, Danny Garcia framed, you know, kind of framed things as if they're going to set the record straight and they're going to let you know that Henry is still Superman. And all they said was, "We still like and respect Henry," but they didn't say you're going to see him for, as Superman for years to come. They didn't say anything that really gives you hope or any sense that what the Hollywood Reporter said isn't true. So what seems to be going on here, and as I spoke about in the video I published on Wednesday afternoon, is that, you know, there, there was some sort of high stakes 
contract negotiations going on here. Somebody's camp leaked the information that Tuesday's meeting had not gone well, and thus the relationship was over. And just to quickly recap, I pointed out that both sides have would have reasons to do this. You know, from the Henry Cavill camp, you know, for Danny Garcia, it works in her favor to leak this information so that all the fan uproar comes up out of, you know, comes out of the woodworks and the studio realizes, whoa, we've made a big mistake. We can't let Henry go. And it gives Garcia some more leverage when she goes in there and goes, listen, see, my client is extremely valuable to you and you're going to lose a lot of revenue and a lot of customers and a lot of support if you go through with this. So on Henry's side, it makes sense to leak it. Then again, they had to like be positive that the reaction would be this way. So it was kind of a gamble too, because what if they announced that and by and large people were like, all right, latest, you know? So if they did it, it was a gamble, but it makes sense and it worked out if it was them. If it was the studio, it's their way of letting Cavill's camp know, hey buddy, nobody's indispensable. Superman is bigger than any one actor. So if you're going to be tough, if you're going to be, you know, if you're not going to play ball with us, then, you know, it's been real, but we're moving on. And in their sense, it seems like if it was them, it backfired, right? Because they put this out there and people flipped out. Yeah, I don't know what maybe what the overall reaction was to the mainstream. Remember, we're all in this little Twitter bubble and this little social media, Twitter, Reddit, 4chan, all this little stuff. You know, so I don't know how much how big the reaction was outside of our little hardcore hive. Hashtag hardcore hive. I kind of like that. But um, you know, they there was a huge negative reaction to this news. So if Warner Brothers was trying to make a statement to Garcia and Cavill about what his true value is, it backfired royally. And mind you, I do think it was the studio. That's just my hunch. But I think it was someone at the studio who leaked this and it backfired. And that's why the next day, TMZ, which is owned by the same parent company as Warner Brothers, put out this thing about, oh, it was it's fake news. That wasn't real. You know, listen, you know, the, everything is fine. You know, right now there is no Superman movie in development. So, you know, if if we decide to make one soon, we'll talk to Henry about it. But whatever, there's no news. Which again, to me, looks like PR maneuvering. It's them going, ooh, the reaction was a little scarier than we anticipated. So let's go out there and say that things are still copacetic for now. They still didn't slam the door and say that everything is absolutely ironclad, just that there's no Superman movie. So what are we even talking about? Why are people freaking out? It's not like there was a movie that was supposed to film in a few months, so what does it matter if he's here or not? This whole uproar yesterday was nonsense. You know, so to me, it's all just... They're trying to massage the message. They're trying to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the fans who are flipping out can calm down. And maybe, you know, I, I maybe this helps the negotiations now because maybe they will go over to Garcia and Cavill and go, all right, listen, we'll hear you out. You know, maybe we'll meet you halfway, but you have to agree to do the halfway thing. You can't come in here and still demand 100% of what it is that you were asking for because we're still unwilling to do that. But you know what? Our customers have spoken. They want you to stick around. So what can we do to make this work? You know, so as far as I'm concerned with this situation, it's not a done deal yet. 
uh, one of you asked me over on the Twitter what I thought in terms of a timeline. Listen, like I said last week, he shoots The Witcher in November. And he's going to have to start doing like pre-production work on that and whatever figure, you know, at some point in the next few weeks, probably in October to get ready for that. So for me, I think this is the month. I think these next few weeks are going to be when we find out one way or the other what's going on with Superman and what's going on with Henry Cavill as Superman. And listen, I got to kind of like lay my cards out on the table here because... These last few months, I've been, you know, I've been a cheerleader for Henry Cavill and for these negotiations going a particular way. And I need to make something clear, though. My, my, how do, how should I put it? My fealty, my, my, my trust, my bond, my loyalty is to Superman, not to Henry Cavill. I enjoyed Henry Cavill. From what you know, from the moments in his previous three movies where he was allowed to be sort of the Superman that I recognize, I thought he had a lot of potential. I think he's got the look. I think he's got the passion. I think he's got the drive. But I also know that in my book, he's still one great Superman movie away from being the Superman of a generation, to be the universally loved you know, the Superman for this generation. I don't think he's there yet. That's just me personally. If you disagree, by all means, yell at me on Twitter, do whatever you want to do. But Henry, for me, you know, he's good. He's shown that he can do it if given the right script and if given the right scene, given the right material. But I don't know that he's necessarily cemented himself as that quite just yet. So for me, when it comes to all this stuff, like, if he ends up leaving, I'm not going to be heartbroken. I'm not. If it takes a bunch of years for us to get a Superman movie, that's where I'll be heartbroken, and that's where I'll be furious, and that's where Walter Hamada and DC Entertainment and Warner Brothers are going to have hell to pay. Because I'm sure I'm not alone. I am tired of Superman being treated as a third-class citizen. All right, you are dealing with the last son of Krypton, the number one superhero of all time. If you can't get this right, what the fuck can you get right? Sorry. Um, but so let, you know, let, let's kind of talk about this a little bit. Because look, I know that this is a big blow for some of you. It's a big emotional blow. It hurts you. It, it makes you question whether or not you want to keep supporting this franchise. It makes you want to go and find Walter Hamada and wring his neck. It makes you want to fire off an angry petition at Warner Brothers. It, you know, it really it hurts you and it, it really sticks to your ribs what's going on here. But, you know, I need to try to be sensitive in how I say this. But, you know, you can't be that mad at DC Entertainment. You really can't. And I, I, you know, regardless of whether or not you loved or hated the last few Superman appearances, you got to understand that these movies did not do the business or were not received the way that Warner Brothers thought they should. You could think that's unfair. You could think that's fair, but it's just facts. Okay. They expected these films to do much better. 
there they were you know they were constantly surprised by how the critics hated it and by like the lukewarm response from fans you know batman v superman we've already discussed this but that b cinema score is really damning stuff the fact that a movie that starred superman and batman and wonder woman featured doomsday the death of a, the death of superman storyline Reference Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns also included, uh, you know, glimpses of the Flash, Aquaman, and uh, who's the other guy? Cyborg. You know, a film that had all that going for it and even had a title that's letting you know Dawn of Justice. Oh, they're building to the Justice League. This film that was a, basically a slam dunk. This should be the movie that is the biggest success story. This should be like freaking Force Awakens. It's such a cultural event combining so many once-in-a-lifetime icons together. You got Ben Affleck, an Academy Award winner, taking on the role of Ben Affleck. Oh, my goodness. And the film didn't even touch what the last two solo Batman movies did. You know, and I'm not saying this like to mock or to patronize. I'm just trying to like, you know, some of you seem to have a hard time understanding why the studio has been so lukewarm ever since Batman v Superman. That is why they suddenly micromanaged Zack Snyder to death. That is why they've been moving away from Snyder's vision ever since. Because if BVS can't even touch the numbers of like a solo Batman movie with all of the things that it has going for it, it means something's wrong. It means that they think that this vision, that this version of these characters has been rejected by fans. That's how they view it. And then I know you're going to go, oh, but look, they also rejected Justice League. So how, what does, you know, what does that say for them? And yada, yada, yada. This is another one of those tough pills, and then we'll move on. I know this is an uncomfortable subject for some of you, but you've got to understand that Justice League was marketed as a direct sequel to BVS. And that's why it had a small opening, but then, by the way, had nice legs. It actually had a better multiplier and pretty decent legs. You know, there are reports I've cited in the past from Forbes and others that are just strictly numerical, strict, just strictly math that shows you that Justice League actually had some pretty, went a pretty good distance with, with everything else considered. Justice League actually did pretty well. It didn't you know, break even, and it's still a total misfire and a disappointment for the studio. But overall, audiences responded kind, kind, kinder to it than they did BVS to a certain extent. It had a higher cinema score, and it lasted longer. Its run did not have the same astronomical historical drops, and it stayed. It stuck around for longer. I know that some of you are furious that I'm saying that, but it's just math. It's just facts, and I'm sorry. I really am. But the point is, if you're... Warner Brothers, and you are assessing the value of Henry Cavill, nothing he's been a part of so far has been the runaway success they thought it would be. So you're not looking at him as an A-lister. You're not looking at him as something that we must keep. You're looking him looking at him as a guy who fans enjoy, but has typically been part of projects and part of a franchise and a continuity that has been highly scrutinized, highly, highly polarizing, and that just is, is, is kind of part of an old regime. 
And if you're Walter Hamada, you're looking at the stuff from the previous regime and trying to decide what to keep and what to toss. And Henry's kind of right there in the middle. You know what I mean? Because yes, the fans like him. And yes, it's not his fault that his previous films didn't live up to their potential. But that doesn't change the fact that they didn't live up to their potential. You know, plain and simple. So, you know, I, I, I feel bad because... I know some of you are devastated at the prospect of losing Henry, but you can't be mad. I Listen, be devastated. I'm not going to tell you not to. These are your feelings. Feel them. But in terms of like turning that hurt into anger and lashing out at anyone, you really can't lash out at Walter Hamada. You can't lash out at Warner Brothers. You can't lash out at DC Entertainment because... The numbers show that people were not in love with his Superman movies. So it gives them the freedom to reconsider what to do next. Okay? And the bottom line is, even for someone like me who wants Henry to stay and wants to see this franchise continue, I don't want a reboot. Even for people like me, though, that involves accepting a Superman that's got some pretty heavy baggage on him. You know, you got to understand that for someone like me, who really did not like the third act of Man of Steel, which is his origin, mind you, I was always going to have to do some mental acrobatics to fully embrace and love this Superman in, in future sequels. I was always going to have to almost do my own mental retcon to make sure I embraced and loved this Superman because the origin that he was given for me is heartbreaking. And listen, you know, I, I've heard you guys out. I've gotten into so many heated discussions and debates and conversations with why you love Man of Steel. And you've all made your points very clear. Some of you think it's the greatest superhero movie ever made. And some of you have this really poetic, beautiful, by the way, I'm not mocking you, beautiful attachment. And I wish I had that attachment to this movie. But if you'll hear me out for a second, that movie broke my heart in so many little ways specifically in the third act, in the way that he handled and reacted or maybe didn't react to the chaos and the death and the melee around him. That to me, it guts me that this Superman was born of tragedy. It guts me that his big coming out party to the planet Earth was the equivalent of New York having three 9-11s at the same time. It guts me that one of my favorite sequences in Batman v Superman is Bruce on the street level saving people during you know his version of what he saw at the end of Man of Steel. But it guts me because I'm like, yeah, if on the streets, Superman was is linked inexorably to tragedy. There's that little girl that Bruce saves whose parents are seemingly dead now. And when she looks to the sky, all she sees is Superman. So she associates lo losing her parents with Superman and Zod. So the, the day Superman arrived on Earth would arguably be the saddest day that's ever happened on the planet Earth. That feels inherently wrong. That feels like a betrayal of what Superman is supposed to be. And listen... I will never question them for the overall approach, the realistic approach of people not trusting Superman at first. I love that. I think that's a great idea. 
You know, in real life, if there was a flying super-powered alien, there would be resistance and there would be sensational headlines. And he would have to go above and beyond to sort of prove himself worthy. I think that's a great concept for a script. And I applaud Goyer and Nolan and Snyder for tackling that. So I'm not at all saying that they should have just made a nice, happy-go-lucky Superman saves a cat from a tree and everyone's happily ever after. No. I love the element of it being a challenge for him to win over the people. That's fine. But the way they staged that third act with the amount of skyscrapers falling and the, the, the entire freaking, like the third of Manhattan crater that's there, the thousands of people who undoubtedly lost their lives, the imagery of like, you know, it looks like 9-11. It looks like, you know, that you see the, the ash in the, in the sky and then there he is kissing Lois in the middle of that and not really trying his damnedest to get Zod out of there. You know, it just, it's such a fundamental misunderstanding of what Superman is as far as I'm concerned that the fact that that was his coming out, that that was his introduction to audiences and to this version of Earth, to me, it's just like it's it's a horrible first step for any Superman story. So whatever the next steps would be, it would always get traced back to that first step of, yeah, your first day on Earth is when thousands of people died and people looked at you as part of the reason for that. Um I don't, I just, I don't, th th there are so many ways they could have explored that concept and still had it be more like we, you know, he, he's a, he's a symbol for hope or we at least try, he, we, we see him at least trying his damnedest to be that symbol for hope. They could have done so many little things, even just interjecting more little quick saves in the middle of trying to track down Zod. I've always said this. I've always said that Zod should have been more strategic. He knew that he didn't have all of his powers and all of his wherewithal. Remember that scene there where he, he's having trouble with his vision and whatever, and, and Superman's like, my mother taught me how to adapt and how to control my powers. They could have played with that so much more, where Zod realizes, okay, I can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kal-El right now because he's all out. He's fully powered. He knows how to use all these abilities that we have here thanks to this son. So... While I try to figure out how to face him, let me keep him busy. Let me go start a fire in this thing and then run away. And let me go knock over this thing and pin some people under a bus stop and run away. And then you have Superman trying to catch him, but also having to save people. Then you see those people being inspired by Superman and saying, thank you. And then he goes to the next thing so that eventually, as Zod is becoming more and more powerful and causing more and more destruction, Superman realizes, I've got to stop him. There's only one way this ends, and it's by killing him. Like, there could be so much more drama, so much more going on to make that third act, you know, cover all the different things that, that Snyder wanted it to cover, but still have a more humane, emotional, you know, underpinning to it all. And instead, you know, you have a Superman who, when Zod throws the oil tanker at him, even though there's people standing right around him, standing maybe 15 feet away on the curb, hiding for their lives, Superman doesn't try to stop the oil tanker. 
He just leapfrogs over it with cool action hero face. And he has a boxing match with Zod in the middle of the street as the oil tanker blows up an entire parking garage and cars come raining out of the sky around them. We don't see him look at the civilians. We don't see him try to stop that explosion, which is clearly going to endanger many, many more lives. Yeah, that, that little moment has always been a microcosm for me that I try to point out to people when they ask, what is it you hated so much about the third act? I don't know how we ended up here, by the way. I just realized, like, I, I didn't mean to relitigate the Man of Steel case, and I'm going to change the subject in just a moment, so bear with me. You know, I don't want to keep talking, beating to death what happened in a movie that came out five years ago. But I just want you to understand where I'm coming from when I say that no matter what happens, if Cavill stays or Cavill goes, you know, if Cavill stays, that next sequel was still going to be a continuation of a Superman that by my standards, by my personal bond with what I feel for this character, started off on the complete wrong foot. And I was always going to have to overlook that, you know? And, and just a quick reminder for those of you who don't, who haven't watched this show or listened to this show for months and months or years. I have no problem with him killing Zod. I never have and I never will. I still remember vividly going down the escalator after seeing Man of Steel for the first time with my friend Jeremy Scully, who's another part of the Revenge of the Fans community and co-host of the Play It Loudcast, and going, Jeremy, well, you know, I heard before seeing the movie there was some controversy about what happens at the end. Do you know anything about that? We're like, what happened at the end that's controversial? And even he was like, I think it was the Zod kill. And even when he said that, I still didn't get on my high horse and go, oh, yeah, Superman would never kill. I, I was like, I thought maybe it was something technical. I'm like, oh, is it because he's Kryptonian and they don't think his neck would snap? Or what is it? Like, I literally didn't get it. I did not know why people are upset about him killing Zod. So I've, that's never been my gripe. It never will be my gripe. My only thing is it could have been handled more dramatically. It could have had more stakes. It could have been built to in a way so that when he finally snaps his neck, it's the most bittersweet thing ever. Because on the one hand, he's saving the people of Earth, but on the other hand, he's killing the last survivor of Krypton, and now he's truly alone. To me, I didn't feel those things when I saw it. You know, I loved the scream at the end. I, th I thought it was very powerful when he goes, no! I thought that was cool. I thought that was emotional. I thought that was a great moment. But that emotion was completely not there at all in the build-up to it. All I saw was stone-faced Henry Cavill beating the crap out of an alien, and somehow a guy beating the crap out of an alien is supposed to mean heroism. You know, it's the difference between, and I've brought up this comparison before, and maybe this will be the last time I ever do it. But, you know, it all depends on what your definition of heroism is, okay? I always go back to this scenario. If you watch a SWAT team show up in a tank and, you know, throwing grenade launchers and battering rams into a building and going in and shooting and blowing stuff up to save the hostages, is that, does that feel as inherently heroic to you as watching a fireman show up, try to put out a fire, risk his own life and save the people? Which one to you seems more heroic? Because to me, the firefighters do. 
because they're putting themselves at great personal risk. They don't have armor. They're running in with nothing but hoses and a coat, and they're putting themselves at great peril to get people out of the building. Whereas in the other scenario, it's more about violence and brute force. And while it's still heroic because they're saving lives, it doesn't read quite as heroic to me. It doesn't feel quite as heroic to watch a SWAT team kick ass and take names as it does to watch a team of firefighters go into a burning building. And to me, Superman, his brand of heroism is more the fireman style, the more traditional style of Superman is more has more in common with a fireman say running into a burning building than a member of a SWAT team armed to the gills kicking a door in and beating the crap out of bad guys. So um, <clears throat> I uh, I'm sorry for going off on this tangent. I just I need to explain where I'm coming from when I say I'd be happy to have Cavill back, but. At the same time, if we start over with a new origin, there will be a part of me that's like, okay. But the thing I will not tolerate is if this takes a long time. Because in an age where we can go from seeing a Spider-Man movie in 2014 and then meeting a new Spider-Man in 2016 with Captain America Civil War, introducing Tom Holland's Spider-Man, in an age where Christian Bale's Batman can wrap up with The Dark Knight Rises in 2012, and then next August 2013, only a year later, we find out that Ben Affleck will be the new Batman. In, in an age where this is just sort of the norm, there is simply no excuse for dragging your heels on Superman. So either shit, piss, or get off the pot. Either make another Henry Cavill Superman movie or announce a new one right away. Because there is no reason. Okay, listen, right now you, you're exploring new territory. You got Birds of Prey. You're going to do the Elseworld Joker. You're doing all kinds of new stuff. That's great. But you can't forget about Superman. All right, Superman is number one. And he should be number one. And I'm tired of him being treated as anything but number one. So that's the one thing where like, you know, th th that I will not stand for. Okay, if you're going to reboot it, if you're going to do whatever, it doesn't matter. But this should not take years to figure out. Okay, you cannot just sit idly by and allow Supergirl to be the one, you know, to be the Superman stand-in. Because listen, Supergirl's great. Superman, Supergirl's awesome. But Superman, come on. Like, come on. There's no comparison here as to which one of these characters needs to be at the forefront and, you know, as recently as April, you guys seem to get that. Remember? In April, you were talking about get, having him appear in all these movies, having him be the glue like the Nick Fury. That was only, what, five months ago. Let's not completely turn our backs on the idea that Superman is incredibly important just because... Henry's not playing ball the way you thought, and now you're changing gears, all right? That's a separate issue. Henry cannot be the excuse for why we don't have a new Superman movie, okay? The only thing he can have any sort of say or impact on is whether or not the next Superman movie is a direct sequel to Man of Steel. But beyond that, there is simply no excuse to not keep Superman out front and center and get your very best people involved and make the make an all-time classic there is no reason why that shouldn't be the case so that is kind of where i'm at when it comes to all this stuff that happened this week look it'll be sad if he goes 
it'll be, you know, I, I think he will be robbed if that's the case. If he ends up leaving, it's almost going to be like, again, it'll be like all over again what happened for me with Brandon Routh. He's another one who, like, I saw potential. I saw where he could go, but he was in a flawed movie, and then he was never given a chance. He needed that one truly great Superman movie to then become the Superman of a generation. While we're talking Spider-Man, I think the same thing happened with Andrew Garfield. I thought Andrew Garfield was a very good Peter Parker Spider-Man, but unfortunately he was in two Spider-Man movies that not enough people liked. So then he was robbed and he never got to make that one truly great all-time classic Spider-Man movie that I know that he had in him. And I'm sure it eats away at him because he loved that role and he was so good in that role. When I think of certain scenes from uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I'm like, the acting and the investment is just beautiful. He was a, he was a great Peter Parker. Um, that's not a knock on Tom Holland. I like where he's going with it too and I, I really enjoyed Homecoming, but... You know, Andrew Garfield, you know, I just I bring this up because there there is unfortunately a sad history of actors getting cut down and recast out of a role before they're given a chance to really show what they can do. And if that happens with Henry, that will be tremendously sad because I do think he can deliver a, an all-time Superman performance. But with that said, if he goes, let's keep this moving. Let's get a new director, a new writer, a new actor, and let's get Superman back out there. Seriously. Oh, and Batman fans, come on now. Cry me a river. Some of you are trying to lump your, your, your upsetness about this Cavill Superman situation together with Batman, you know, heartache. And it's like, oh, they're, you know, the, the studio is disrespecting both the main guys, Superman and Batman. Cry me a river. Matt Reeves just put in his first draft of the script to the studio. That movie is going to be getting filmed next year. All right? So your wait is like it's already it's that movie's happening. Maybe it's not happening as quickly as you'd like, but cry me a river. You guys have gotten seven solo Batman movies since 1989, as well as two other appearances when you count BVS and Suicide Squad and Justice League, actually. So you've gotten 10 cinematic appearances by Superman in, in, in the last 29 years. I've gotten three solo movies. All right. Come on now. Superman fans have been waiting for the king to be treated with his proper respect for a very long time. Batman movies are constantly in development, and here we are. Matt Reeves is already, like I said, he just put in his, his script. He's a little late, by the way. It was supposed to arrive in August, so looks like he may have did some last-second tweaks. I'm very curious to see how that goes. Um, by the way, I wonder if one of the reasons why the, uh, the, the actor who I'm not mentioning yet, and I'm sorry, I'm still not mentioning him, but I wonder if the reason that that actor is in the running or has been discussed is older is because I wonder if part of this most recent script delay was maybe he's rethinking the age on Batman again. I don't know. He, he seems to be going back and forth. At one time last year, it was just going to be a few years before the events of BVS. Then it became 15 to 20 years before the events of BVS. Maybe he's shifting it back up again. I don't know. I really don't know. But, you know, the, the, the other actor who, who shall not be named for now, um, this person's in their late 30s. 
And they really, you know, they are the one that I've referenced that are cut more from the same cloth as Ben Affleck. So that's just something I'm intrigued by, because here we go. The, the script came like a full month later. Remember, he said at the beginning of August, yeah, it was like the first few days of August, he said, I'm putting in my first draft in two weeks. And now it's mid-September, and now is when he's done it. So something happened that made that delay. So I wonder what that delay was about. I'm very intrigued. Hopefully I, get, I, I can wrangle someone who, who has access to the script, and I can get some answers for you. And, you know, if I get further ver verification, I will give you guys the other name. All right. For now, I'm still holding it close to the vest because I seem to be one of the only people on the planet Earth who know about it. So I want to hang on to that until, you know, until I'm absolutely certain. Um, but anyway, that was just a little tangent. But just Batman fans, don't you do that thing. Don't you do that thing where, oh, they're disrespecting Batman and whatever. No, Batman always gets all the love and all the attention and is always some sort of priority at that studio. It's my boy Kal-El who needs the love and the support right now. So it's time to forget about the Dark Knight for a second. You're getting your Batman movie. Rally behind the idea of we need Superman. All right? That is what we need right now more than anything. We can't be going now years and years and years of them just, oh, are we going to make a sequel? Oh, it will be a reboot. Who's your kid? Just figure it out. All right? This should not be difficult. But anyway, okay, now I'm going to just change up gears here. We're going to be ending the episode fairly soon. Uh, this morning, I asked you guys over on the Twitter. Remember, my username is I underscore am underscore MFR. I asked you guys if you had any questions or topics you wanted me to cover. So right now, I'm going to like, I'm not prepared. I don't have notes. I'm just going to scroll down the thread and I'm going to answer the things that seem to be, uh, you know, that I have something to say about. I don't always have things to say about certain topics, so I will not answer all of them. But let's go ahead and, and see what we got here. So uh, I'm not, not going to talk Spider-Man PS4 yet because uh, even though I got it two nights ago, I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I hear it's amazing and that the storytelling and the way it presents the character and yada, yada. I hear it's phenomenal. So I can't wait to dive in, but I haven't been able to do that yet. So any Spider-Man stuff is going to have to wait. Then there is, okay, Isaac Wolf. Frequent, uh, you, you send in lots of good questions there, Isaac. We answered some of your stuff on The Last Revengers. And uh, no, I'm not going to do this in my Swedish accent, which sounds more Danish. But Isaac is from Sweden. Uh, I can't help myself. Uh, Isaac <laughs> asks, uh, when do you think we know for sure in terms of the Henry Cavill thing? And I did answer that sooner, you know, earlier on in this episode. I think it's going to be somewhere in the month of September or October before he really gets into The Witcher. As for whether or not there will be a documentary about this whole mess of a negotiation, listen, I don't know about that, because I don't know if this negotiation is as interesting or as cinematic, but the overall behind-the-scenes turmoil these last, you know, two to three years, depending on how you look at it, that should be, a, that deserves a documentary. And, you know, and, and I think about John Schnepp, may he rest in peace. John Schnepp did that great documentary about the death of Superman Lives, what happened. I would love something similar, a somebody to tackle what's gone on since Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and all the different trials and tribulations, the way they 
chopped up that movie, the way they kicked David Ayer off of Suicide Squad and re-edited his movie and cut all of Jared Leto's Joker stuff practically, how everything obviously with Justice League and the Snyder cut and whatever, like an entire documentary that chronicles these last couple years, that would get my money and my support in a heartbeat. Heck, if I had access to footage and behind-the-scenes stuff, I would edit it and direct it and put it together myself if I had to. But I don't have access to the materials and the the in-depth interviews one would need to make that sort of documentary. But trust me, I've even said in the past, I want to write a book on this stuff, on the history of DC at Warner Brothers at some point, And maybe that's still a thing that will happen. But either way, Isaac, I'm with you. I would love it if there was some sort of documentation, some official record of all of the insanity that's gone on between DC Entertainment and Warner Brothers. I'm with you. Uh, then there's Future Bat. Future Bat says, are Warner aware of the damage they are doing to DC and especially to Superman's reputation with all of these, you know, with, with what happened this week? Do they even care? Listen, like I said earlier, I do think they were caught off guard by the uproar this week that people flipped out about Henry Cavill Superman. And I think what says that, what communicates that is the damage control they had TMZ do the next day. Because like I said, that's owned by the same company as Warner Brothers, and that is clearly part of their attempt to sort of smooth things out and take control of that narrative again. To me, they they never would have done that if they didn't care. So to answer your future your question, future bat, yes, I think they do care. Yes, I think that they were a little rattled by the response, and I do think it's going to cause at least one other discussion to happen between the studio and Cavill's camp. I do think that is going to happen as a direct result of this uproar. So guys, if you are part of the backlash, part of the resistance to this idea. Keep on fighting because this seems like an issue where there is some mobility. There is some chance for them to go, okay, okay, fine. You really want him that badly. Let's talk about this. Then there's my own contributor, Jonathan Brady, the uber-talented Jonathan Brady, who is in, over in Japan, by the way. And he submits his articles to our site from Japan and I have to send him his article links, the, the stories I want him to cover, his assignments, by 10 p.m. New York time so that when I wake up at 7 a.m., they're ready. Because in his time over that point, I don't even know what it is. It's like 8 o'clock at night by that point. And he's had all afternoon to write his story. So Jonathan, the very hardworking, very talented, very eloquent, very dependable reporter, sent in... What are your thoughts on the idea of Reed Morano potentially helming a Supergirl film? Any other directors you really think would be a great fit for it? Um, Jonathan, unfortunately, I don't know Reed Morano, so I can't sound off one way or the other. Uh, I've looked at her, at her filmography and, and all that. She seems to have a lot of experience as a cinematographer, and she's directed a few things. Just unfortunately, it's all stuff I haven't seen. So I know people are excited about it. I think it could be a very cool thing. I'm sure if she's on their radar, she must have some significant talent. But um, in terms of my take on her, I don't know. You know, I, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. In terms of other directors, I mean, I would really have to think about that because I don't want to give just a generic what everyone says. Everyone always says Catherine Bigelow, Michelle McLaren. You know, all the, 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 there seems to just be the same, like, 
three or four female directors that people keep, you know, throwing out there. Uh, so I would actually have to give that one a little more thought to see who I think would do uh, do Supergirl justice. So I'm sorry, Jonathan, but we're going to have to sort of stick a pin in that one. Then there's Brian Knight. When will Walter Hamada speak? If he's the Kevin Feige of DC, shouldn't he be out there building trust with the fan base? That's a fair question, Brian. But there is a huge difference between Walter Hamada and Kevin Feige. And this is something I actually discussed earlier this week on the Revengers podcast with Brett. You know, Vanessa had to miss it, so Brett and I had a one-on-one this week. Um, Walter Hamada is not the Kevin Feige of DC. You got to understand, Kevin Feige has a very unique role in all this. He's not just the producer. He doesn't just tend to matters of business and public relations and budgets and all that sort of stuff. No, he's also part of the creative team. He's part of like the architect of where this goes. He's the one whose ideology, all the filmmakers who sign on to the MCU, that's the ideology they have to buy into. They have to know that they are serving Mr. Feige's overall plan for where we're going. You know, he tells you the point A and the point B, and then you, the filmmaker, has to have to find out how to get them to point B. But Kevin Feige is not just a producer. He's part of the general creative fabric, the creative brain trust at Marvel Studios. So that's why he is way more hands-on, he is way more invested, and he is more or less the de facto face of Marvel Studios. Walter Hamada is, is not involved with the creative. Walter Hamada is there basically to keep the lights on, keep, you know, make sure that everything is running smoothly. He's there to be in charge of the budgets. He's there to make sure the filmmakers have whatever they need to make the best films they can. He's there to make sense of the slate to decide what get, makes a green light and what doesn't. But his stuff is pretty much strictly on the business end because they don't want to have a hand in how the filmmakers make these films. Remember, they're not trying to mimic the MCU model. They are not trying to do the producer-driven model where the Kevin Feige or the Walter Hamada calls the shots. They're trying to do the filmmaker-driven model where each visionary filmmaker they hire gets to make the movies that they want to make. So he's just there to nurture them. They are the stars. You understand? The movies themselves, the directors, the writers, those are the stars of the DC universe. Walter Hamada is that behind-the-scenes guy that makes sure that everything goes smoothly. So it's not, you know, it's not a role that demands a lot of publicity. He doesn't seem like he wants much of it. And he's not in the same position as Kevin Feige by any stretch of the imagination. Because Kevin seems to work on both ends. He's the overall architect and he's the, you know, working on the business of being a producer. Walter Hamada is not interested in telling people how to do their jobs or guiding the DCU in a particular direction. He's here to nurture the filmmakers, make sure that they stay on budget, make sure that they have the tools they need to make the best films possible. But it's a different capacity than what Kevin Feige does. And mind you, little tangent here, this is why I'm starting to think maybe DC should just officially move away from the shared universe model. I know that that's a scary thing because I've been a big proponent of it. But the more I think about it, they can't have it both ways. They can't have it where there isn't that central creative brain and also still have everything be filmmaker driven like it, it you got to do one or the other either you have that one guy who's calling all the shots or you have it be filmmaker driven and whatever 
to do to, what they're attempting to do now is just going to end up with results like what happened with Fox's X-Men, which in the past I've been cool with. I've been fine with that, where it's like, yes, sometimes the continuity is adhered to, sometimes things completely contradict, continuity is very sort of, uh, shall we say, hit or miss when it comes to the X-Men Cinematic Universe, I know Aaron Verola gets very angry about that, the continuity king himself, but I'm starting to wonder now if, like, if you really do want to give each of these directors a chance to make their own truly groundbreaking DC films, and you don't want to control them, you don't want to micromanage them, and you want each film to potentially be some sort of classic, then maybe maybe the, the shared universe thing, and maybe just having little miniature shared universes where, like, the spinoffs are more organic, like having a thing where, like, Birds of Prey and perhaps Gotham City Sirens and any other Harley Quinn thing is kind of its own. Remember how I've mentioned that there's, like, internally they talk about it like it's the Harley Quinn cinematic universe? Maybe that's the way to go. Little mini-universes. Maybe that's why they're calling it the worlds of DC. Ever think of that? Little worlds, little pockets of things like that. So that makes sense to me. But doing the overall shared universe, the way that they're trying to do it, it's just never going to work because it's going to be way too hard to get all the different visionary directors into the same room to agree to not step on each other's toes, to not contradict one another, to make sure that their films, despite whatever their vision is, has to lead up to a Justice League movie or has to lead up to a Flashpoint movie. Like, you know, you can't, it, doing both is going to be impossible. Fox tried it and the results were very hit or miss. The only way the shared universe works is if you have that central brain. You know, with the MCU, it's Kevin Feige. With the Conjuring universe, it's James Wan. With Lucasfilm, it's Kathleen Kennedy. And even there, there's been a little bit, you know, there have been some growing pains as they figure out how they want to do things there. But these shared cinematic universes only work if you have someone at the center who is literally doing all of the quality control, making sure that everyone's on the same page and we're all pulling in the same direction. If they're not going to do that, then don't even bother with the shared universe. So I'm starting to think more and more that maybe the shared thing is not even worth it. I just want great DC movies, great Superman movies, great Batman movies. And, you know, it, it breaks my heart to think that I won't see a world's finest or another Justice League film for a very long time, if ever. But if it means I get a bunch of phenomenal modern-day classics based on these characters I love a tremendous amount, then so be it. It's a small price to pay, you know? I'll, I'll always have the comic books and the animated films for those kinds of crossovers. So that's kind of where I'm at today. It's kind of an about-face for me because I've been big on trying to keep the shared thing going. But I'm just starting to think that this current model is not going to work. Um, and especially if they're going to end up having to reboot Superman, then again, you know, there's the Batman is gone. You know, Reeves is doing a soft reboot with a new actor and, you know, it's sort of a prequel, sort of not, but either way, you know, Ben Affleck seems to be done now. If Henry Cavill leaves, it's like, how do we even keep this continuity going? You know what I mean? That's why I'm just thinking it might be best to just back off. But anyway... Ron Diesel asked, we all know that WB wants to manage the budget for these DC films a little bit better. Speaking of Superman, if they were to make another Superman, what do they need to do budget-wise to keep the cost down in terms of making a Superman movie? That's another tricky one. 
You know, the only way you keep the budgets down is to limit how much he does. Not his abilities, but like you can't have sequences that take place in space on Krypton. You got to try to make it, you have to make the, the threat a little more intimate, more of a one-on-one -on -one battle, not a complete world-destroying sort of finale, which costs a lot of money to produce. You have to like simplify the story. So it's really a tale of Clark of Superman rescuing people and of a villain that he can just deal with in a one-on-one -on -one way that doesn't cause a world-destroying event. So that's how you keep the the budget in check with a Superman movie. You know, you 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 strip it of its very very over-the-top scope, and you make it very much a one-on-one -on -one sort of tale. Maybe it's him versus Luthor. And I know people are tired of that, but I'm just saying that that's a way you do it. If it's him versus a human. And what he has to deal with at the end is a very sort of localized threat, then that's one surefire way to make sure Superman doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. Uh, any news about the Supergirl movie? This came from Ishita Chatterjee. Ch Chatterjee. Uh, Ishita. The latest news on a Supergirl movie is that it is indeed a priority. Um, you know, I've heard some interesting rumbles about it being a period piece possibly set in the 70s. I'm still looking forward, I'm still looking into all that, to the validity of those rumors. But all I know is that Supergirl has indeed, as I reported exclusively last week on Revenge of the Fans, by the way, last month on Revenge of the Fans, about the fact that Supergirl seems to have taken the place of Man of Steel 2 in any kind of Superman sequel. So it is a priority. And that's all I really know right now about Supergirl, that through all this, it's been very, very clear that Supergirl is moving forward one way or the other, and that that right now is taking precedence over a Superman movie. And by that stretch, you know, I would not be shocked if Supergirl films either late 2019 or early 2020, so that it's part of these next couple years of releases. Um... Then there's Mike, some sites, you know, Mike, uh, whose Twitter handle is Mike underscore F-M-E-R. Mike asks, some sites reported that the Flash movie wasn't put off as rumor said. Have you got any kind of confirmation on that? I don't have confirmation, but I'm once again, you know, when I did some digging, it looks like the main reason that things are kind of, you know, why the casting breakdowns didn't make it when they were supposed to, is they're still trying to sort out who the casting director is. It sounds like it's more of a logistical thing, that they have not yet finalized who's going to be handling the casting. So that's why they delayed the casting process. That's why the breakdowns, which were supposed to make their way down to talent you know, managers and agents like two weeks ago, haven't yet. So I don't think it's going to be delayed. Fingers crossed. We'll see what happens there. But from what I hear, the delays or the you know the rumblings of the Flash perhaps being in trouble really just had to do with they're still ironing out who's going to be in charge of the casting. So I think uh, we can count on the Flash filming next spring, as The Hollywood Reporter and Production Weekly have said. Then there's Tony, who asked me the same question already, actually, about, you know, when do you expect a firm answer on Henry Cavill's future as Superman? Uh, do I think the studio underestimated the support of fans for Cavill? So I already pretty much answered that, but just real quick, I think it's going to happen within the next month. And yes, I do think they underestimated the support fans have for Cavill. Then there's CJ, Bunkhouse, JB9. 
CJ asked, according to the article and Scuttlebutt, we've all been hearing, WB is going forward Supergirl. Is that the only... Is that only going that route if Cavill does not sign a new contract? Or is that happening regardless? CJ, it's happening regardless. They're big on the Supergirl thing. They're, they're, they're hot on the idea. They want to strike while the iron's hot with the female superheroes. So whether Cavill sticks around or not, Supergirl is still the priority. So no matter what, no matter what happens, we're going to see a Supergirl before we see the next solo Superman movie. So yes, that is you know, it's not just a scare tactic. It's just the 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 route they've decided to go in when they realized that they were not going to get to make this Superman movie, though you know that they thought they were going to make. Um, and the last thing goes out to Clark Mustaine. Clark asked, or it wasn't even a question, but he he said, "Thought Hamada knew what he's doing," and you know he posted a picture of uh, the Superman Death Monument. Listen. Like I said earlier, do not blame Hamada for this. I know that that's a tough pill to swallow, but Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment really kind of have no choice but to really think long and hard about whether or not Cavill is worth the kind of trouble that he seems to want to stir up to stay on as Superman. Because the bottom line is, his three cinematic appearances thus far have been received in very mixed to negative ways and none of them lived up to their full box office potential. Okay? So to blame Hamada, to blame DC Entertainment, you are, you are simply misdiagnosing the problem. And I, I hate to say it because I know some of you have this vision in your head. That the only reason that the studio has hemmed and hawed about these DC Snyder films is because of the evil bloggers and critics. But the bottom line is the people spoke on all of these. And uh, across the board, there, the, there was either tepid success or just kind of a meh reaction to these movies. You, as a hardcore fan, may love it. But you have to understand that by and large, when the studio did its due diligence and its research into how people have felt about Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Justice League, the, re the, the response they got made them have to take a step back and reassess how to move forward. So that's why you can't blame Mr. Hamada for his hesitance in pulling the trigger on keeping Cavill. You just can't, and I'm sorry. And now I just kind of want to announce that the next Revenge of the Fans Revenger Watch Party is going to be on Saturday evening, October 27th, at a theater to be decided in Queens. We will be watching the new Halloween movie starring Jamie Lee Curtis. So if you, wanted, if you live in the New York Tri-State area and you'd like to come see the next Halloween movie, uh, alongside myself and various members of the Revenge of the Fans podcast network, as well as contributors to the site. You want to watch the movie with us and have a little, you know, pregame and a little postgame and to talk about the movie and hang out and see the film with us, 
October 27th is going to be the night, so clear your calendars. And next week, I'm making a very big announcement about what's going to happen after the movie because there's a very exciting idea for the after party, for how we're going to handle our post-mortem and where it's going to be held. And sort of, uh, let's just say it's going to be a very two-tiered night. And you're more than welcome to be part of just the movie and not the second part. But if you come for the second part, it's going to be a night you're probably never going to forget. So stay tuned for a big announcement about the second part of the Revenger Watch Party on October 27th, 2018, when we go see Halloween. Okay? For now, everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you have not yet, please go and rate me on Apple Podcasts. Let your friends know. Give me some upvotes on the YouTube version if you did watch this. If you somehow made it through these last hour and 15 minutes or so of watching me sit here. Hmm. Oh, I have spit strings of watching me sit here and talk to you about Superman and all this other stuff. If you made it through that, please give me, you know, a thumbs up on the video, share it someplace, leave me some comments, let me know that you got something out of this. I'm still not 100% sold that the YouTube thing is a great idea, but some of you seem to want it, so we're giving it a shot. Um, and that's it, everyone. I hope that uh, you're all taking care of yourselves out there. And until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. <laughs>